Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, I am Cody. You're listening to The Awesome with Cody. I'm being joined today by... Hey everyone, it's me, Ryan Wynn, and I'm an inker for, well, right now DC Comics, but for the past few years I was an inker for Valiant Comics. I also am the proprietor of Novelty Comics, excuse me, Novelty Comics, which is my independent publishing house where we publish uh, monthly on Comixology for a dollar, and I also hang out online on my YouTube channel and have fun uh, making videos about inking and drawing. All right. Thanks for having me, Cody. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Um, so, some of you may remember Ryan from on the other podcast, um, where I did a uh, an interview with him a little bit. Uh, oddly enough, almost four years ago at Comic Con in San Diego, uh, wow. a lot has changed, um, yeah. and we're going to go over some of it. But we're going to start way back in the day. With how did you get into art? Oh, how did I get into art? Uh, well, that was easy and was just part of our family. My parents were artists. My grandparents were creative. My grandpa was an artist. Uh, and I mean, like, artists. Like, they had studios in the house and the, the garage was, you know, had paint and everything. And my dad, uh, I grew up in a sign shop, so... Like, my dad ran a shop, but also ran part of the shop out of the house for years. So our garage was a sign shop full of tools and paint and all, you know, everything you could want. My mom did calligraphy, so I've been, I've been playing with pens and stuff since I was a kid. So it was kind of just always there. I didn't, uh, it wasn't a thing I, like, I don't even remember. I, I know I have a lot of friends that were like, uh, they knew the day they wanted to become a comic artist or they wanted to do that stuff. And I, I just always did it. Uh, I didn't realize that not every family did that either, you know, and then you get older and you're like, so where do you guys draw and take photographs and stuff? And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like, like every family, don't you all, aren't you all doing this? All? Where's your mom go and sit and listen to music and do calligraphy? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, so I just, uh, it was always around. Um, I'm actually trying to escape it. That's, that's my thing. <laughs> I'm trying to, <laughs> well, you picked the wrong career for that, I think. Uh, but, yeah, I've wanted to be a comic artist since I was a little kid. I don't have a definitive moment. I've, I've always done all different types of art, but it had to be really young, looking at some John Romita Spider-Man books when I was a kid in the 80s that, you know, 
made me want to draw. Something about Spider-Man seems to be like a lot of people's inspiration and like delving into it. I mean, Ramita for sure because of the spider webs. Uh, but some about that suit. Yeah, there's some about his 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 everyman quality and that he was he was sort of that uh, you know forced to step up you know kind of character. So it was you know he he was that. Oh, I kind of forget the, the, I'm losing the word I want right now, but uh, a symbol for what you could do, you know, uh, that you could be timid and stuff, but when the oper- uh, when the opportunity arose, you could step up and, you know, be a man or whatever. A true hero. Yeah, and I, I think that that's why he, he speaks to so many people. And, uh, yeah, I, I very much identified with Peter Parker my entire life. <laughs> All right. Um, so the next question uh, is, and this is kind of answered with the John Amita, who or what were your main inspirations? Well, that's different throughout all the years. Like, as a kid, you know, anything I was reading Marvel was, at that time it was, you know, both Ramitas in the 80s. And, you know, Gene Colan on the Avengers when I was a little kid. Uh Surprisingly enough, like Jack Kirby, his Fantastic Four worked for me when I was a kid, but a lot of his other stuff, I, I didn't really like the New Gods and that stuff until uh, later in high school and my 20s, and then I really started to fall in love with that stuff. And then in like, if I jump back again, like maybe like junior high and early in high school was like, I went through an Art Adams phase, I went through an Adam Hughes phase while he was on Justice League, and so... Kind kind of as I was getting older, I would uh, find inspiration through from all these guys. You know, a, a lot of karmic uh, karmic a lot of comic artists will tell you that that you know throughout their life, you know, like they went through a phase of this guy, a phase of that guy. We all went through a John Buscema phase because of you know not only his amazing work on Conan and everything, but also how to draw comics the Marvel way, which is how so many of us learn the fundamentals of comic book storytelling. Yeah, it's uh, different than most people think it actually is. Yeah, it's it's. it's uh, go ahead. It's not just uh, you know picking a, a a picture to draw and then you know that's it. There's there's ways to tell tori- stories in it, and like with Marvel, they have. I mean, obviously drawing the Marvel way, there was a specific method they wanted you to use, but mm-hmm. it wasn't because they wanted only that way. They seem it just was the way they found to be the easiest for everybody to kind of get into it. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you know, to make it mainstream and make it faster, obviously, they use that as a template for everybody. Yeah, because it's sort of like a a grammar book, or even like a grimoire, if you want, on comic booking. So what it is, it's it's uh, you don't have to do things this way, but if you do it this way, guaranteed it'll work. It, it's we've set up a language for comic book. Uh, speaking from creator to reader and here's the steps to do that to make it work, then you can take that and expand because it's not hard, fast but it's it's almost, that's why I liken it to a grimoire or something like that where it's like, here, here's the here's the spell book, do what you will with these spells, but this if you just do exactly what it says here, it'll still work. Yeah. Um, so, next one would be uh, what are some of your past projects? Uh, I know there's some. We talked about a couple of them, 
before. Uh, but with some of your your past projects, people can 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 look into to to get more of the Ryan Wynn experience. Well, I've mostly done inking, as you know, um, and the things I'm proudest of as an inker. Uh, I had a long run on Spawn with Danny Mickey and the Crime Lab Studios crew when I was part of that. And we did a lot of fun storylines in there, but I, I really liked the Armageddon storyline at the end of our run with Philip Tan. Uh, makes for a great trade. Brian Haverland's colors are fantastic on it. Um, that's going back. I'm just kind of going through time. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I was at, mostly an ink assistant on Hunter Killer with Sylvester on pencils. Mark Wade wrote it. Uh, I was Joe Weems' ink assistant. Um, I was just relooking at that the other day, and that was a killer story. And the second half of the series is drawn by Kenneth Rockefort, back when he was still, who's Kenneth? Like, no one knew who he was back then. And it's still, he, he, he was so good. Uh, his work was almost as good as it is today. That's a fantastic trade to go pick up. Um, my proudest work is Divinity with Valiant that we started Oh, 2015, I think, uh, three, 2014, 2015, and we did three chapters of that, and then a follow-up series called Eternity. And I think that's my proudest work to date. Um, you know, gosh, I glossed right over Batman stuff. Uh, Batman stuff, we, uh, gosh, I did some really fun Batman stuff, but I, yeah, probably my thing that's right up there with Divinity is uh, Detective Comics issue one which was the first issue one of Detective Comics to have Batman in it, and that was part of the New 52 launch. And what I really liked about that issue, besides the fact that it was you know, that first issue one, is that it was just a, a self-contained story. I mean, it was tied to the rest of the series a little bit, but it was just a Batman-Joker kind of one-shot, and it was really cool. It was You could just read that, and you didn't have to know anything else about it, and you don't get that a lot these days. Uh, I remember, I think at the time, even Tony was unaware or unsure if people were going to like just sort of a, a story like that. But it, at the end of the issue, then it kind of veered off and went a different direction. Um, but people, people liked it. Um, so I hope, he, I hope he looks back fondly on that as well. Uh, but yeah, I, that was just you know, a few issues of that. But Divinity, I got, I got a bunch of years out of Divinity, and we have four volumes. And it's, gosh, probably the best team I've ever worked with. I've worked with so many good people that it sounds like I'm sliding people, but I'm not. I've just, I've worked with so many great people, uh, you know, but Divinity's written by Matt Kent, drawn by Trevor Hairsign. Uh, my inks are all right. We, we get some great ink uh, assists, a few pages um, by some other great inkers that helped out. And then David Barron on colors, which we all know David's a, a fun, fun guy and also a great artist. And I think it's some of his best work to date. And now it comes in this, uh, I know you guys can't see it, but I just got a hardcover collection of the complete trilogy of Divinity that I want to do an unboxing of later. It's all wrapped up still. But that would be uh, anyone listening that wants to check out my inks or check out a project I've worked on that I'm proudest of, I would say, yeah, Divinity from Valiant Comics. I would agree with that as well. Thanks, Cody. Because... Uh... That is a tremendous series. It actually got that was the first, I think it was the first Valiant book I picked up. Obviously, ma mainly because of you working on it, but I continued continued with it, 
not just, you know, pick up number one and I'll have Ryan sign this eventually. It's, I actually picked it up and I was like, oh, this is actually cool. Matt Kent, obviously, he's an amazing writer. Um, yeah. I just didn't know, like, I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, well, I'm just going to pick it up. And then I stuck with it and now I have all of them. And uh, I didn't know realize they're doing a collection. That's pretty rad. Yeah. I they, probably they find never, that. They never fill us on it. Uh, on that stuff either. I had to buy my collection at the comic shop yesterday. <laughs> so uh, I am going to make sure they send me some, but I, I I wanted to see it, and I've got a bunch of credit at the comic shop, so I figured, uh, you know, why not? Might as well. Yeah. All right, so uh, I think that's pretty good on the on the past projects. Um, these, are my, these will be my fun questions to have. Uh, and we've talked about this. You and I have talked to us before without any recording, uh, but what is one creator you'd love to work with? Who is one creator you'd love to work with? Oh, man. That that changed all the time, so now I can't even remember what I told you. Um, let's see. So you mean, do you mean penciler or just any creator, like just to have my name on any book with anyone? Anyone. And so it could be you doing full art for a writer or you writing and someone doing anything else or whatever it is, whatever partnership you, you can think of. Who, who do you want to work with? Who do you want to create something with? Oh, geez. It's tough. There's still, there's still a few pencilers I'd like to work with. Um, I'd love to do, I, I got to work with Brad Walker a little bit. Uh, Brad Walker does a lot of DC stuff. I, I think you know who he is. Yeah, I do. Uh, yes. And I, I think he's, I always the same stuff about him but i think he's one of the most underrated pencilers out there i think he's such a good storyteller and such a fantastic illustrator and his characters have so much life and his storytelling is so brilliant from panel to panel um i'd like to do gosh something cosmic with him besides green lantern i did a few green lantern pages i always wanted to do something like new gods or something like that with him just like a one shot something like that he's got a fantastic inker that that he works with Drew Hennessy. They work so well together. Uh, but Brad's work, it's, it's always, it's always calling to me. Uh, I want, I want to work on that, but writer, let's see what writer would I want to draw for? Uh, I'm lucky and I've had a lot of fun having friends that are good writers. Like my buddy, Adam, who writes death Betty for me and my buddy, Chris, who I did a time travel series with image a while back called hiding in time, Chris long. He, uh, He's fun. You know, I'd have to say, like, Grant Morrison, somebody like that. I mean, that's somebody that's my favorite. Pro uh, Warren Ellis. I mean, those are those are the guys that, like, I go to time and time again just for reading, you know, uh, read their stuff, they're, especially their more indie stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I, like, anything Warren Ellis does that's non-superhero tends to be, like, pure gold. Not that there's anything wrong with his superhero stuff, but I feel like his true strength always lies in uh, his personal works. I'd probably, yeah, I think Warren Ellis would probably be my number one writer. Um, you know, there's all sorts of uh, fantastic indie writers right now too. Like I've been, I've been uh, reading a lot of Alterna comics and like I liked Cody Souza's work. I think he'd be a fun guy to work with. Um, let's see. Oh, wait, I got a stack here. Let's see. What, what did I buy yesterday? Oh, Ed, I don't know how to say his name. Ed Brisson, B-R-I-S-S-O-N, Bryson, Ed Brisson. Hmm. Uh, I'm currently reading The Violent by him and Adam Gorham. And uh, I've read a few things by Ed that were, they're, they're really good. I met him in New York a few years ago and he was a really cool guy. Um, 
And I think he's got a lot of interesting ideas. He's somebody I'd probably like to work with. Um, these are things I should, I should probably have a list. I'm, I'm always the worst person. People are always like, hey, what's your, your favorite this or that? And I'm like, oh, man, I should come up with lists of favorite things. Especially if I'm going to be on a show called The Awesome. Uh, it, would, it would be helpful sometimes. Yeah. Well, plus it's just fun for conversation. Instead of just being the boring guy, you're like, oh, I don't know. I never thought of that. Hmm. But, my, yeah, I, number one on my list, writer would be Warren Ellis. I've worked with all the... Like, I've inked so many pencilers that I wanted to pencil, and I've had the opportunity to work with colorists that I've wanted to work with. Um, I think that's kind of why I'm, I'm creating a lot of my own stuff now, too. I've, I've checked a bunch of stuff off the list that, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, so... Uh, well, this will go the next one then. Drift off on that. I'll drift off in silence on that last sentence. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll just we'll say you know, it's open. Uh, but Warren, Warren Ellis would be a great one because he thinks of some weird ass shit you could draw all the time. And any of the like, gosh, you know, uh, if I could write a comic for anyone, I'd want to write something for like Mike Allred. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. You know. Uh, somebody like that, you know, my favorite, my favorite guy. You know, I'd like to write something. I've, I always felt, uh, I like Ryan Stegman's work a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have some ideas that I, I'd really like to work with Stegman. If I, if I was writing something, I'd really like to, to work with him. The Ryans? Uh, yeah, yeah. I know there's, there's a bunch of us in comics. Uh, Phil Hester made fun of us, I don't know, sometime last year. He made some, comment about there being too many Brian's in the comic field. And then all of us chimed in because, you know, everyone follows Phil, you know, we all, we all, we all uh, check out his feed. So every Ryan chimed in and you're like, damn, there's more of us than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Industries run by Ryan's. I know it's weird because uh, in my real life, I don't meet very many other Ryan's ever, but in the comic field. I just met Ryan uh, uh, Katie last week, writer Ryan Katie. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we just, I was at Comic Bug in Manhattan Beach hanging out, and he walked in. I heard the owner saying, like, oh, hey, we got another pro in the back. And I, I what's funny about him is I'd known his name, and when I saw him, I remember him manning the booth at Top Cow Booth a few years back. Uh, but I thought he was just an intern, or I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he'd been writing for them. And then when I got the name to the face, uh, Realized I was talking to another pro. <laughs> Just another Ryan. Mm-hmm. Just another Ryan. Maybe Ryan's an artistic name. I don't know. Maybe. A, a creative name, almost. Good maybe. Ryan's all over the place, though. Like, There's a lot of Ryan's that are actors, too. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I never, uh, never thought about it that way. It seemed... I think for, it's okay for you to say that. I think it's cocky if I'm saying, hey, I think Ryan's a creative name. Well, I know uh, Cody's not, so. <laughs> we're also creative. Hmm. Hmm. There's many of us, and all of us are excellent. We're so creative. Sorry, that's how we talk at all the Ryan meetings. Uh, so, the next question would be, this will be a fun one, because I know uh, you'll have some fun with this, too. What character or title would you love to work with? Or on. 
Oh, okay. See that I've I've put more thought to that I think than people I want to work with. Makes sense. Because uh, you know my dream dream gigs are all people that like aren't in the, aren't in the industry anymore or aren't alive. You know, <laughs> like, that makes it a little harder. <laughs> so yeah, characters. Gosh, there's so many. I mean, there's a handful of Marvel characters I'd love to write or draw. Uh, Obviously, of course, Spider-Man and and things like that. Um, everyone's kind of handling a lot of the characters right now. Like, I would have wanted to dabble with, like, the new mutants, stuff like that. Um, things that were more fringe when I was a kid, but, you know, they're, they're, they're popular again now. Uh, Spider-Man, I've... Uh, yeah, the, the the standard Spider-Man and Batman, I, I think you'll find so many people uh, always wanting to work on those. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But I'm, uh, I really like a lot of, like, the weird DC characters, like Metamorpho. <laughs> okay. I like the Metal Men. Um, gosh, do you remember the Wednesday comics that DC did? Yeah, a few years ago. It was basically like everything in that was all the stuff I want to work on. Like Dead Man. I love Dead Man. Um, I want to work, I would like to work on weird stuff like, uh, you may know this just sort of as a fan of comics, but I think you, you're younger, so you may not have read it at the time, but uh, Infinity Incorporated yeah. from DC. Um, that was where I first saw Todd McFarlane when I was a, a little kid. Uh, and they were such strange, bizarre characters, like uh, with very serious, dramatic stories. Like almost the, the characters are almost like laughably cartooned, but the stories are so serious and dramatic that it creates this like really interesting, weird vibe. Um, and I, I, that's the kind of stuff I'd like to work on. Some of the weirder stuff, or some of the magic stuff. Uh, things like Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate. You know, I've studied a lot of mysticism and philosophy, and I enjoy the mixing of that with literature. I think that would be kind of fun. And I, I think that would be fun because I, I like to write, draw, and do all that. So I think those characters, I'd, I'd like to work on those in any capacity. I think it would also be fun to see those guys come back as just a an entity to be seen in comic books again. Cause they're, yeah. They're, they're more fantastical than realism as I'm not that Superman's real, but you know what I mean? Like a lot of the things that Batman and Superman do are, are based in their own little 
worlds, but with Infinity, I mean, with them, like with Infinity Inc., like you have the bizarre fighting and in, in, against the bizarre in a way. Yeah, you know, so it's like it's kind of like uh, if you remember the show Freakazoid. Oh, I know of it. I didn't really watch it. Everything it was just super like a character of everything. Like he okay. was he was just way beyond but all, all the villains were the same thing. They were just super nutty. Okay. So it's kind of it kind of reminds me of that that idea. Oh. Yeah. No, it, it is. It's nutty against nutty in in that that world. And isn't that like an Earth 2? Am am I I'm, correct? I believe oh. so. I was trying to look it up and see if it was cuz I remember uh, their version of Superman showed up in Infinite Crisis, right? Yeah, and I think the uh, Hellcat was part of the team. Yeah. Yep, here we go. Uh, yep, and Power Girl. Yes. Yep, and Brave Brainwave Jr. Good lord. Brainwave Jr. That brings up some, some past memories for sure. I know, I got excited on... Uh what was it, a couple seasons ago or last season on The, the Flash on CW when they had, was it, King Shark yeah. show? I thought it was Kacharo or Karcharo or whatever his name is, the shark dude from Infinity Incorporated. Oh, that'd be insane. Uh, I was so excited because, like, Shark King, I didn't know Shark King or King Shark. Whatever. King Shark, I, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a character I know of, like, or know much about. So I got, oh man, I got so excited. I'm like, oh, they're bringing in Infinity. This is awesome. And then everyone's like, they brought in King Shark. This is awesome. I was like, what? Who? What? Wait. You're We're like, not yeah. All the same thing here. You're all King Shark. That's the one I was hoping for, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you guys. <laughs> oh, good times. Um. So before we go to the, uh, the non of a question I'm gonna go and throw out to you what are some of the stuff you're working on right now that you can talk about on this show because I know there's some stuff you and I can talk about but it can't be public so so publicly I'm allowed to say I'm working on a DC project we're just not allowed to announce it yet uh, depending on when this airs you know we're we're in mid to late Jan- or February right now and uh, I think I can I think I still got another month before I can announce what that is. Uh, so hopefully that month goes by quick. It's not even that big deal of a project. It's just, uh, it's fun, and I want to talk about it with people. Uh, I'm also currently putting out our book, our creator-owned book, Death Betty, through my own publishing house, Novelty Comics. And those are a dollar on Comixology. And that's about a girl named Betty who was dumped by her boyfriend, who just happens to be dead. And that pissed her off. And now she's out to ruin his day by ruining his job. And so she's sort of an anti-hero. She goes around stopping him from taking lives to the afterworld. Therefore, she saves people, but her her goals are not altruistic. It's all purely revenge-based. So they're shorter comics. They're short stories. Uh, each comic has uh, a 12-page main story and then a couple follow-up short kind of just really jokey, dumb stories. That's all we're kind of going with. We're like sort of... Uh, I look at it as an expanded, instead of a short comic, I actually look at it as an expanded comic strip. Like, each story is almost like, got one gag, but Adam's really good at, uh, like, throwing a real kind of story in there, and then behind the gag, there's a lot of emotion with these characters, and you're 
the goal is to kind of like figure out what happened with them. You know, we don't we don't get a lot of exposition. It's purely just uh, just fun action is what we're going for. And so we got that going on. We're on issue. Issue one just came out uh, February 14th. And before that, we had the zero issue. And we have a couple more issues coming out over the next couple months. And then we're going to take a break on that. And I have a project called Driver and Shotgun coming out with artist Dean Cotts. And I'm writing it. I was originally drawing it, but I brought on Dean because he's a much better artist and he's a good friend. And that is a pure action-adventure book. Uh, it's about these two characters, Driver and Shotgun, and I won't give, get into uh, too much of that yet because we're not announcing everything yet. And I want you to uh, come to my site and get the info there. Uh, and then after that, I've got a... Uh, we'll just say it's a surfing story. So... Late, late this year, late 2018, I'll be launching a, a surfing story as well. And in the meantime, you can catch my inks uh, in trade paperbacks and the hardcover collection of Divinity from Valiant Comics. All right. And, and I think that's it for right now. Quite pretty, a bit. Actually. Pretty <laughs> good amount of stuff, actually. Yeah. You'd be quite busy. Uh, speaking of death, Betty... Would like to talk about that for a little bit, okay? Because I find the the world you and Adam built strangely alluring, and I'll and I'll I'll tell you why. Okay. So from issue zero, which uh, I got from you three years ago, I think. Sure, say only three years. Yeah, we'll say three years. It could have been longer. Uh, You the. That's more, it's, it's issue zero, so if anyone knows about any issue zero ever comes out, it doesn't really have a, a huge place in continuity. A lot of times, page, or issue zeros are uh, smaller stories that lead you into a bigger story that happens in a further issue, like, say, issue one. You guys did a little something different. Yes. You came into a, the middle of a story and didn't get any detail about it. Correct. <laughs> then, when issue one came out, you did a little thing differently than most people would think. Like, oh, they're going to tell us what happened and why she was stopping him from killing these people on the bridge. Now, that's not what Ryan and Adam did. They gave you this little bit of a, hey, we're in this world where these people, everyone wears hoodies. Yep. And we don't really have a line between the living world and the, and the dead. But we do know that somehow you transition between the two. Yes. Now, one of my favorite characters, which I hope gets a little more into it, is Rusty. Okay. Because I have a feeling, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have a feeling Rusty is how we're going to figure out what happened to Betty and Death and where it's going from there. Oh, okay. I like your your thoughts. I like your train of thought. Uh... Yeah, there is a there is a reason Rusty's in there, um, and we have a we have a fun we have a fun Adam and I have a fun working relationship. I hope he thinks it's fun. Uh, I think it's fun where we sort of uh, we're making stuff up as we go along. We have we have an ending in mind that we're working towards, but we're we're sort of as we as we've gone from issue to issue, which has taken a few years now because we've been doing it between other projects. So, uh, you know, I'll finish a run on something and he'll finish a, a run on what, whatever project he's doing. 
and we'll we'll bang out an issue and then we go back to our our day jobs for months and months and months and the next year we finished another one so we didn't do much noodling in between so it still kind of always felt fresh every time we, we started working on stuff and i started interjecting rusty into like different situations like uh, he wasn't in the first script and I interjected him in there and then Adam had it threw Adam a curveball so he had to adjust and I, I wouldn't normally do this to any writer this is just sort of the fun process that we're doing with this project we're almost looking at it like uh, like jazz we're like okay here's the chord hey what if we broke up the chord like this and we did this or this and we just we go off on that just for fun you know that's kind of what we're doing with this series everything's just for fun Meanwhile, Adam, as a writer, is he's trying to, you know, he's trying to thread an actual story through all of this nonsense and all of this fun uh, that's that's rooted in the love-hate relationship that, that uh, Death and Betty have. And that there's a thin line, you know, like you, you notice that there's a thin line between life and death in this world. And that's the same thing we're kind of showing with love and hate, it's the, the similarities. It's It's such a... They're so close to each other that what can passion and anger drive you to do, you know, uh, that even when you like someone, you can hurt them, stuff like that. But we're also trying, like I said, we're trying to have fun. So it's like, okay, what are these like serious concepts that we have as people and how can we display those in like a Roadrunner fashion cartoon comic, you know, where there's gags and fart jokes and, and, and things like that. Um, and a woman jumping out of a fiery building, throwing babies. Well, she's just saving them. Yeah, she's you saving know, saving lives. them. Saving lives. Did anyone get hurt? No. Just a bunch of property damage. Just, a, just thousands and thousands of dollars in property damage every time this girl shows up. Uh, so, and we, we also, with this project, like I said, we're, we're trying, to be, uh, trying to be more free-forming our creative process. So... That's sort of why the Zero issue wasn't an origin. It was sort of uh, just, we're going to pull you into this world and you can just get a flavor for what this is like. What, what the attitude, the mood, the emotions going on. Hopefully it was uh, fun to read because I'm trying to make the panel-to-panel -panel stuff fun. Like, oh, that's, that was a fun visual thing that, that went on there. You know, like the transitions. I'm trying to make it visually interesting for you too. Um, you know, because we were focusing on it being a comic book, not just like, oh, a story we can sell for TV or movie. We want it to be like, this was a fun comic book experience. It's also, you know? the, the way you guys do the panels is very, um, I mean, if someone goes from a traditional book to this, like, it's very bizarre to, to, to read because there's the sequence of panels go from the background as action's moving forward, a natural panel stacks on top of other ones. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's a very visual. I know Adam works in the movie industry as well. So I know a lot of that probably comes from, uh, visually thinking out of how you were going to shoot a, a scene, but it's almost like a lot of times, like I think the one I, that comes out in my head the most was the bridge scene from zero. Okay. Where, um, she shoots through the, 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 the bridge or the the bus at him essentially, but like the way the panel pops out of the top of the bus, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, it it just looks very bizarre, and I remember reading it when you gave me the hard copy of issue zero, and then when I 
when I bought it on Comixology to read through on my iPad, I was like, oh, there's Guided View. This seems like it's going to be interesting. Is Guided View going to like break how you read the comic book? Because like, I wonder if I read it wrong. Because Guided View, if, for people who don't know, Guided View is something when a creator puts a book on Comicology, like our friend Ryan here. Um, from what I've seen is it it's it flows the from panel to panel how you're supposed to read the comic. Yes. And I think my favorite part about reading Death Betty on there was reading it through how I imagine how I'm reading it through and then watching the guided view bounce from section to section on the book because it goes from this wide panel to a small panel to a smaller panel to a big panel back to a small panel. And I'm like, hey, I never thought about that because when I'm looking at it, I see the whole page. But Exactly. The, but the, the guided view gives you like almost this motion comic feel to it where it just pops out even more which I thought was pretty cool too. Yeah. And that was all experimental and it worked out great. We were, or we, we think it worked out great. You know, we still learned from it and there's things we're going to do different and, you know, moving forward, you, you learn from your mistakes, but uh, we went with their guided view. You can create your own on Comixology, but we just went with how they did it. Cause I kind of wanted to see what they did and how they thought it should be presented. And when I saw how they did it, I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. But some people also don't read their digital comics with the guided view. If you've got a big enough iPad, a lot of people read it as a, just the full page. Yeah. And uh, so then you can kind of do your own thing there too, where in the zero issue, when we introduce each character, there's a series of panels, uh, wide shot panels running down the page. And then to the left or right of those, there's little bits of the characters explaining like their accessories and their clothing and sort of like a presentation. Yeah. And so that you could be read, you could read it the panel and then the little side, you could read the main panel and then that, or you could read all the main panels and then all the little panels. You could go either way and hopefully it worked for any readers. Um, but we're getting feedback. And what I love is that some of the stuff is working for people and some of the stuff isn't working for people. But knowing what does and doesn't work means I can come up with, okay, in the future issues, I can still keep trying trying these fun things, but I know uh, I can try different approaches that will maybe work for everybody, you know, like make it more, uh, just get better at, at doing these weird things. I don't, I don't know the vocabulary for splitting panels on a page or storytelling like that. You know, I, we haven't, uh, comics hasn't been around long enough where there's, all the vocabulary for that were, you know, in movie and film and stage, there's names for everything, you know? Yeah. Every technique is named after somebody that created it or something like that. So I'm not quite sure what to call what the, you know, sort of the panel play that we're trying to do. Uh, but, but it is fun. And hopefully as we go forward, we'll continue to do that, but just get better at it so that everyone, you know, make it clear. I think that's the problem. Some of the stuff, we just didn't make it clear what we were trying to do. Like people could see, like, I see you're trying to do something fun here, but what was it? You know? Gotcha. Yeah, I'm just looking at it again on my uh, my iPad. Gotcha. Um, because when you read any comic book, like like you said, I have a big enough iPad. I have an iPad Pro, so I like to look at the entire page because a lot of artists. One of my favorite newer artists. I don't like to say new, but uh, Tony Guillory, who does Chew. It's one of my favorite books that I just stumbled upon one time. Um, 
hides little weird shit in the background all the time. Okay. And I don't know if you've ever read Shu. I know you've worked with John, uh, or you've worked near John a lot because he's always at conventions when you are. But, mm-hmm. like, his story is, is tells one thing, but then, like, Rob will throw, like, stormtroopers walking in the background for no reason. <laughs> or at one point there's this there's auction they go to where it has all these famous people and the old people the old dudes from the Muppet show are in the balcony up top. Uh, no way, really that's awesome. Yeah, and so it's just really weird stuff and like there's this one where they're going through the police station there's all these wanted posters and he drew um he he would draw random stuff in there and they would change from panel to panel. So every time you saw the same wanted poster it's someone else. So like Okay. That's... But but when you read it through Comixology, the guided view, you miss a lot of that because it jumps from panel to panel. That's what makes it, it super interesting to see how they read it. Oh, see, I wouldn't have thought of that about it skipping over an element that you've, you know, that you've put in there. I hadn't thought about that yet. My, my our stuff's not as detailed as Rob's work. Yeah, he, he he's <laughs> the most ridiculous ever like if you ever read i'm really interested in seeing his new project that he's still yet to give us a title for um but like chew the one thing i learned to do as i was reading through it is read it get to like an end point like you know oh this the you know this is a cut and scene go back and look at all the background stuff because there'll be like two frogs humping or an old lady being beat up in the alley even though there's cops right there like little, little weird shit like that and it has nothing to do with the story, but it's just a fun little thing to find all the little Easter eggs that he throws in. The fact that like Kevin Smith and Jay, Jay and Silent Bob were like just in the front row of a movie theater <laughs> for no reason, you know? Um, and it's just like, you know, it's just fun. But uh, I think that's an interesting thing with comicsology because you can read the entire... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your entire panel, but when you go to do the, the guided view, it... It reads it as you're supposed to read it, you know. Like it goes through the story, but uh, it it likes to go through. So I mean, I I always read it the first time with with full view and then go back, or with guided view and then go back and look at the whole thing. But yeah, that makes me curious to uh, see something like Promethea in Comicsology. I've only read that, you know, oh. I've read it over again, but I've only read it my single issues and my trades. I'd be curious with something like that, how it's handled, because that that series was a big inspiration to me just on, on how can you or how how to layer visual storytelling, you know, like, oh, you can put a poem here 
and a visual thing here. And, you know, like there were so many different things they did. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to see, yeah, how the guided view works on that. It could make a whole, a, a wholly separate experience that could be cool too with, right. with that series. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. Prometheus would be a weird, you have a lot of like full panel, like full page panels that, just have dialogue. So I wonder if it would jump from dialogue to dialogue or it would just show you the whole thing. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, because uh, some of this stuff, I know on, I think it's, uh, oh yeah, it was one of our issues of Death Betty. In issue one, there's a splash page where she's sort of, uh, her life is flashing before her eyes and they sort of, the guided view just scrolls down the page. And I was like, okay, that was a cool way for that to work because I was curious. It's like, there's sort of a spiral of memories coming out of her head with panels in the in the memory smoke, kind of. And so I thought, oh, are they going to spiral around? Or how are they going to do this? And they just, they kind of went with what the letterer did, which is just kind of like moves you slowly down the page. And I was like, okay, that's that, that worked out great. Because um, I hadn't thought about it being that way. I just thought, oh, they're going to jump from panel to panel. You know, like it was sweeps that they do from panel to panel and this it was just a gentle like roll down hmm. the page I thought that was cool I'll have to look but, at that one as well but going back to real quick to what you said about you would read the uh, two issues you know read it to, to the end and then go back and look for his easter eggs and things like that I think that's a fun way to look at comics like uh, I often read every comic I read I basically read it twice yeah um, especially even just basic stuff, like an issue of The Walking Dead or something. I'll read it once, and then I'll do a flip-through read, because now I know the story, and I know what happened, and I'll go back, and maybe I'll reread a scene, the words, but otherwise I just kind of like, I flip through, and I kind of like soak it up again, and I always find that that, that second non-reading flip-through uh, really helps to soak the, uh, soak the story into your brain. Especially with stuff like Alan Moore. I'm, I'm ranting, or not ranting, I'm uh, rambling now. Uh, with Alan Moore's kind of work, sometimes like if he would put a poem or a song in, I would actually read the story and skip that part when I was younger. I'd skip that till I got to the end, and then since I knew the story, I'd go back and then just read the little poem or whatever the secondary thing he was doing. And since I knew the comic, it was easier for me I'm a slow thinker, so it was easier for me to see how he was tying it all together, where sometimes I would get confused. I'd be like, wait, I'm reading the thing, now I'm reading the song lyrics. Okay, now I'm back to the thing, now I'm reading song lyrics. And I'm a slow thinker, so it would always just slow down my reading process. So I found that if I just kind of read the story and then went back for the, the bonus parts, it helped me, helped me personally understand what, what he was trying to do better. Blah 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 blah. But I, I mean, Alan Moore is actually a really good example because he he's a very heavy word person. He has a yes. lot of. Um, I mean, I've I've only seen, I think, the Watchmen scripts, but like he has he writes full scripts, but it has these like descriptive boxes that don't actually have direction. They just have this is all the stuff when I wrote it. This is the stuff that I saw. Yeah, and it's just like I was like, well, I feel bad for Gibson because he's got to somehow put all this stuff in there, you know, <laughs> every down, everything down to like a belt buckle. 
and a, and a, a zipper on the on the legs of something. You know what I mean? Yeah, Alan wants to give you enough to to build on it. You know, like or he basically he gives you everything you need, uh, and more. <laughs> yeah, way more. But yeah, um, which I it, it's funny. I like that. What what I do like about Alan's stuff is that he seems to. I know he's an old curmudgeon and stuff, but like. He seems to be very open to the artist having their own interpretation. So even though he's extremely detailed, I've seen a lot of notes in his scripts. And I think I was talking to Gene Ha at a convention once. And he said that, or maybe it was Xander Cannon, one of those guys said that as detailed and heavy as everything was, he was 100% open to how do you see it or what do you see? Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic way to work because I often get a script and I'm, it's limited in detail, so I may misunderstand what the writer, like I may misunderstand his emotional intent if he doesn't list out everything, like, you know, like really just let me know, you know, so a lot of times I'll get a script and it's just an action description, you know, oh, the guy walks in the room and he's angry, so this or that, uh, where an Alan Moore script, it'll, you know, it'll say the guy walks in the room and you have to remember that he's gone through this, he feels this way, and we're trying to show that this in this scene we're going to elevate him to this anger level or this power level or, you know, something like that. He gives all that, that what should be subtext, I guess. He's giving you all of that so you make sure you know what he's trying, to, what feelings and stuff he's trying to convey, uh, not just what is he trying to show. Yeah. You know, um, but that being said, I've seen the stack of what like one issue of one of his exactly. scripts. And you're like, well, you need a month to read the thing. So like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, with his because like I was saying, his isn't he doesn't block out a page for you. He literally just lists everything, all the action, and anything that goes on in that page, and then it's up to the artist like Dave Gibson to then formulate what goes in what panel. And yes. then, like, because he doesn't even have he doesn't even have page breaks in some of his scripts. Jeez, he just has this is all the stuffs happening, and then Gibson had to actually go through and say this is page one and this is page two, and then move stuff around because Alan doesn't do on page one. You know, comedian kicks in a door and shoots somebody in the dick. He just has comedian busts through a door and unloads a shotgun into the genitals of of a, an assailant. You're like, okay, well, I know it's going to happen, but I have to then somehow make this work on on one page. And then, you know, I was like, wow, this is, I've seen a lot of stuff and it is craziness that goes on in there. Yeah, I haven't looked at those in, in years. I saw the, didn't they print the scripts in the back of like one of the hardcovers? Yeah, all the deluxe edition hardcovers as well as the, uh, he. I think it's in the absolute you get book you get issue one script fully okay that that must have been where i saw it yeah um besides i like i said i saw i've seen photos of his the stack that yes. is a paper that is in a single issue 23 uh, page comic book is, he gives you a 57 page script for <laughs> and it's got, and then you I've, know. I've also seen writers that they're really good at conveying everything they want to convey and like Two or three words. Like I've seen some Mark uh, 
I'll say Millar just because that's how we used to always say it before yeah. Miller, just for the distinction, because there is another Mark Miller writer with an E. Yep. Uh, so the Millar Miller, uh, I've seen some of his scripts and they're beautifully concise with, uh, you know, he'll give three strokes and you're like, whoa, I get the, I get the emotion. And, you know, as a writer, I get the emotion that he wants. I get the uh, visual that he wants. Uh, he's, he's someone that I think whether you like him or hate him, which seems to be people's opinions of him. It's either he, black or white for sure. Yeah. He, uh, he knows what he's doing with the craft. That's, that's 100% for sure. Like he knows how to craft a comic book. Um, and then I've seen Grant scripts and his can be difficult too, but that's because he's, he sort of thinks like Frank quietly. So they're thinking about timing yeah. and they're, they're, they're issuing, they're doing something that a lot of people don't do where the time it takes you to read a scene is the time it takes to act out that scene. Yeah, almost. very, very, very uh, motion picture. Yeah. Uh, very real time almost, which is very difficult to do. Uh, so I've heard that's what's tricky about his scripts. It's just that if you don't, if you're not thinking in that mindset, it's kind of tough to, to make it, make it work. Yeah, I was actually, I saw an interview with him. Um, I can't remember where it was, but he was talking about, um, I think it was a Nerdist, actually. Uh, he talked about, he draws out every issue of a book, like yes. his own right. And so he has a script, and then he has an actual drawn out comic. And so he can, he, he his writing is one thing, but then he breaks down and he sends both to artists and he doesn't say hey this is what i want you to draw this is how i visualize the flow because the the his art has no real definition to it it's just yeah. you know it's just there and so um i think it was in batman incorporated with chris burnham um you see i want to say it's the deluxe edition has it where you see chris drew over the top of one of grant's like drawings okay but it's like smaller. Like he's like, I drew over the top of it, and it's. Um, he said they had to. He had to redo the page because it actually showed up in print. Oh, how funny! Yeah, he's like, I wasn't tracing it. I was trying to make it bigger, but then I got busy with the page, and so I had to go and block it out. <laughs> so like, apparently, in an issue, there's a like a. a Sorry, I wanted to give you an edit point. We have people coming in the front door right now. Oh, it's fine. It's live. It don't matter. Okay. We're good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, it was going to be... I, I thought it would be more interrupting than that. Ah, I'm sorry. Perfectly okay. Um, but there's a part where he had to basically paint in all of Batman's cape black to cover it. Okay, I need to check out the... But You said that's in the hardcover? I believe so, yes. I want to say okay. it's... I can probably find it. My bookshelf's right next to me, but I'd have to figure out where all of it's at. Actually, Batman and Robin. Nice. Um, but yeah, if yeah, you I go in the back, I can show you. Um, because we're on video, unlike everyone listening. Uh, oh. I don't know how how well you can see this, but in the top corner, 
See the scribbles? Okay. Yeah, that's the image. So if you look at it, it's the same image of them dancing, but just tiny. Oh, weird. <laughs> and he did it for a reference, and then he forgot that he had it in, a, in outside of the blue, and so he he had to like he had to sketch over it. Oh, how funny! Yeah. So it was it was I don't know it was a weird little thing. But Graham Morrison's known for for writing full scripts and then giving you like a hand drawn comic. Yeah. Um. That's actually how I'm working on Dragon Shotgun with Dean uh, Cotts right now. Uh, partially because I was drawing it originally, uh, but also because, I don't know, I've spent my lifetime, you know, I've been reading Grant Morrison since I was a little kid and listening to him talk at conventions and stuff, so I, I learned a lot about making comics from him. And so I've always written in a visual form. Like, I, I have my ideas in my head for the story, and I'll make some notes on kind of what I want to do. And then I go straight into thumbnailing and I, I visually t tell the story to myself. And uh, I let, I, I sort of, I let the medium dictate the story. So I get, I, I work out like the idea for a page, but I know at the bottom of this page, I need to make it interesting or compelling for you to turn the page. So you don't just, a lot of writers, they, nowadays, they just uh, yeah, sound like an old writer. A lot of writers, the young writers these days, <laughs> they don't do the page turn thing. Um, they just sort of like a page is a page, and you turn the page. And you're assuming that because somebody's reading a comic, they're going to turn the page. But you still have to make them want to turn the page. Yeah. So classical methods are you, you, you lead off the page. You either have a question at the end, or you have you know, the characters looking off camera to something. So, oh, I've got to turn the page to see what happened. So obviously the reader doesn't think, i got to turn the page all the time. But you want them to subliminally want to turn that page. Yeah. Uh, so I find in comics that if you let the medium dictate the, the, the script, uh, you, you really, you write the best for a comic book. You write the best story for a comic book. You end up, uh, if you remember that you should have one, Big thing. And I'm talking just action comics right now, yeah. not super action, but comics with action. Obviously, you know, if you're doing a something about drug abuse or if you're doing something about a love, a lost loved one, you know, something you're gonna have different different ways to convey that. But in a superhero book, you kind of want to stick to some of the formulas. Uh, I learned that the hard way. I tried doing things differently on a lot of projects over, over the, through the past uh, years and. You realize, oh, that's why they do it this way. That's why they do it that way. You know, there's there's certain things you kind of want to stick to, and so I found that that's the best way for me to actually write a comic book is to actually draw it in a sense. So I do it very loose, and I send my script with action description, and then I send my thumbnails, and he works for my my thumbnails. And he's open to do whatever he wants. He's a fantastic artist. He can he can change anything he wants. But that's how I tell the story. Uh, that's how I write the story. So uh, I just send all that along. So he has everything. And I kind of got that from uh, Bill Hester too. When we were working on the darkness, I was just the inker, but I was working in studio with the penciler Michael Broussard. And so I got to see all of Phil's scripts, and Phil would send. Uh, it would be each page of the script would be his thumbnails for the page and then his action descriptions. And it, it really made things clear. It made his intent always clear. And Michael would change things accordingly. 
You know, he would Phil Phil's more of a Jack Kirby and Michael Broussard's pencils were more like in the John Buscema world, you know, the Mark Silvestri realm. So they had different ways to portray powerful images. So yeah. things like that would change. Like a splash page would change a little. But the and be pretty much all laid out and Michael just had to do beautiful illustrations instead of working out the details on his own. Gotcha. Yeah, and actually, uh, the last part I'll bring about this before we move on uh, is I think it was Scott Snyder was talking about the the biggest advice he got from Grant Morrison was what you're talking about, where at the end of a page before you turn, so you're you you know you're you're on page uh, if you're reading comic books like two and three, which would be like you know there's the title page, you're on there, so it's a double page spread that you have two and three, and if once you get to if you want to reveal something. You want to reveal it on the page turn, yes. So you don't see. So if it's written on, if it's if the big reveals on on the le- the right hand page, and you flip over, you're gonna see it first. Yes. So you want to have it either on the left page or a double page spread. So it's not. Oh, I guess Batman punches this guy in the face. That's cool. I don't know how it leads to it because the first thing I see. Um, and so I'll read some books where it does that, and it's just because of you know an ad insertion was pushed that page back, and you're like, well, that kind of sucked. That happened to us in Divinity a bunch of times because they had a title page, and I don't think when they started writing the scripts they had the title page in mind. So there were a lot of times, like times we got to went to print, and I was like, oh, but it's it's revealed on the right hand page. Yeah. This should- on the left um but matt's so good anyways that then i started noticing that he does page to page reveals in a sense anyways so there was other things that i'm like oh i didn't i didn't know that that was quite a reveal until i read it in this form but when i just had the pencils you know i know in my head when i'm working on stuff that uh pages three five seven nine eleven like those are all right hand pages yep you know like they just you do it enough, you know that. So it was just weird when you go to read it and you're like, oh, wait, these two pages are facing each other now. But then, like I said, there were some other surprises that it worked in, uh, worked in its benefit. Yeah, because I know I, a lot of Marvel books now will actually do um, what would would have been, you know, like the title page or the, or the splash page with the credits on it. They'll do it on page one instead. Okay. So that way, page two is the beginning of the st- of, of the actual story, and I don't know if they they pre plan their ads, but sometimes, you know, they're in the you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? And there's an ad, because the ads always if you want. I mean, to me, I've always noticed in Marvel books, especially the ads that are in the middle of the book are on the right page. Oh, okay. So when you turn it, it's the first thing you see, which is weirdly unsettling because now I'm taken away from what I was reading to yes. look at Spider-Man sneakers or whatever. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't turn away from anything. It doesn't, I don't think it breaks anything up, but it's just a weird, weird thing. It's the ads are always on that right page when you open it up. Yeah. The, uh, the marketers and the ad people, they, they know where to put stuff. Yeah. That's part or, of their job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, uh, I heard, or I didn't hear. I saw that there were some uh, DC books this year that had like the Snickers ads that look like a comic book. Yep. Or whatever. 
And man, when I was a kid, those hostess ones would make me so mad. Like now they kind of, they're like, oh, there's a funny nostalgia to it or whatever. But like uh, when I was a kid and I'd be reading the John Romita book and then they get some guy that looks like John Romita to draw the hostess ad. And I'm like, turn the page and start reading it. I'm like, damn, damn, this is a hostess ad. Damn it. <laughs> oh, they're crafty. They are crafty. All right, so back to the actual questions. Uh, okay. This will be the last one before we wrap it up, and this is the one that goes away from actual uh, art stuff, sort of, for you. This question is, what else are you doing outside of art? Um, I know this because I follow you on the social medias, that you're in a band. Yup. <laughs> the, the thing I wanted to talk to you about, but I wanted to save it for this show, is... Why the hell were you in Japan? Uh, <laughs> so we're big in Japan. That's what I got to say. Um, we're, we're huge in a three-block radius of Tokyo. It's okay. one tiny part. Uh, we have a lot of fans there. Um, so I've been in this band. So the band's called The Taint. And you can find us at www.thetaint.com. And we're, we're building up our social media presence. As we get older, we're doing more online and less uh, less actual playing live and things like that. Uh, we started in the early 2000s. We started out as a Misfits cover band. And actually, the guys, the rest of the guys started. This was before I joined. They were Misfits cover band. And then a year or two into that, around 2003, 2004, I joined. And we started doing, um, we were still doing Misfits cover songs, but then we would switch them up and sometimes do like rockabilly versions of them. And then we started playing TV theme shows from the 80s. Uh, we just started interjecting those. So it was like this blast of 80s punk and 80s TV when you came to see our live shows. And we'd do really wild stuff. We'd, we'd have pinatas. We'd smash our instruments. We'd do all kinds of stuff by the end of the show. Um, it, was, it was a real, real punk rock vibe. And then as we got older, we started playing more... I don't know, like kind of how I describe us now. We're uh, online. Our description is we're a uh, a hard rocking band with uh, doses of punk and swing. And when I describe us to other people using other bands, I say we're somewhere in between Boingo Boingo and uh, Queens of the Stone Age, where that's where we kind of play. We have a lot of humor, but our we we do a lot of heavy rock. We got a great drummer. We have some um, some cool beats. Uh, so that's kind of where we've evolved to. We went from kind of being this jokey punk band, and now we're sort of like uh, just a regular regular rock band, I guess. Um, so we've been playing live for years. We had a decent following in, here in Southern California. And probably like five years ago or so, we, we started slowing down. Uh, we played our last live show, like, I don't know, it was like 2012, 2013, something like that. And we just went into the studio. We just, we... We play for ourselves. That's all we've been doing the last few years. We still write every week. We get together and play. But in that time period, our CDs made their way to Japan because one of our, our members, uh, our lead singer, Zach Olson, he's married to, he married somebody from Japan. And she's part of a big music scene back in Japan and her friends and stuff. And our CDs sort of like filtered through over there and started building up with their friends and their, their scene. And then we got invited to play a benefit show with a band called Viwat, which is V-A-I-W-A-T-T. -T. Uh, we're friends with them. They're from Japan. They're an amazing, uh, call them like 
an electronic punk band. Uh, it's 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 heavy. It's rocking, but they use electronic beats. But it's very much like they can they can play with a punk band and everything and get a pit going. So they do big benefits shows every year for earthquake relief. And they invited us over the past few years, and we weren't able to make it as a full band until this year. So that's why we went to Japan. And we played a few shows in Japan, and it was, it was really fun. Uh, one of the best experiences of my life. One of the best places I've ever been. I thought America was the greatest, and now I realize Japan is number one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, th yeah, that's why we were in Japan. It, it, we're not really, like, huge over there or anything like that. It was just the we got injected into the right scene and they liked our stuff and we're we're gonna go back later this year and play there again all right pretty awesome um on that Thanks. note we were uh, you and i were uh texting back and forth a few weeks ago because i stumbled upon a uh little keepsake i got if you remember the picture i sent you oh what was that i got it right here uh it was a picture of a napkin that had a drawing on it and I was going to share a story with you, but I thought I'd uh, I'd share it with you because uh, re just recently I, I found out you're an Aquabats fan as well as oh. I am. So the picture I sent Ryan, which I'll post along with the, the, the show when it goes up, is uh, a picture of a monster drawn with pen on a napkin from a bar that says official uh, uh, Aquabats napkin. And the yes. story is this. I would go to every single Aquabat show within 200 miles of my house when I was in San Diego. Anywhere okay. I could go, I would go, no matter what. I was obsessed with them. Um, I showed up to uh, Kane's Bar and Grill in San Diego um, okay. really early. And not for any reason, other than the fact that I tried to beat traffic because it was like on a Thursday or something. So I get there, and it's like two hours early. And for anybody who's in San Diego has ever been to Kane's Bar and Grill, it's a functional bar and grill during the day. Yes. So one half of it is a restaurant, the other half is a bar, and about two hours before the, the concerts, the bar empties out into the restaurant. So the bar is empty. Well, I'm standing here, and I have my ticket. Guys, like, hey, you want to come in and sit down? I was like, I guess. So I went in, and I was underage because they had shut the bar off so I could go in. Um, I just sat at the bar, and I was drinking a soda, and uh, these guys come in, they're sitting there talking, and they're like, hey, what are you here for? And I was like, I'm here for the Aquabats. They're like, oh, really? I was like, yeah. He's like, hold on a second. And he reaches over, and he grabs a napkin, he starts doodling, and he hands it to me. I was like, oh, that's super awesome. That looks just like their art. He's like, yeah, that's because I draw it all. And they all walked away. <laughs> and it dawned on me later, it was Bat Commander. Okay. And he just drew the napkin and gave it to me just because we were sitting there chatting, and then he just walks away. And so I have this weird just keepsake napkin that is just so bizarrely out of anything because it's just a hand drawing of a of a one-eyed monster and it says official Aquabats napkin. Well, that's his style. Like, that's exactly sure. his style apparently. Uh no, Christian uh the back commander, yep. he's uh, yeah, he's fantastic. The the whole group of guys is is really fantastic. Um we're taking the nephew to their show. Gosh, I think it's like beginning of May or something. We got our backstage passes and uh, going to do the meet and greet and hang out and stuff like that. And 
Uh, my brag on them. You want my braggy story? Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm a super old dude. So in the 90s, I was in high school in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. And that's when the ska scene, the third wave of ska was blowing up all across Orange County and Southern California. And we would go, like, there were some kids, some older kids. I was a sophomore or junior. First couple shows I went, got dragged along with some older kids. And by the time I was a senior, we were going every weekend, just finding either going to parties where these bands were playing or going to coffee shops or anywhere where the bands could play. We saw bands play in office shops, like parents are not office shops. What's an office shop? I don't know. Uh, in offices, like the parents would give permission to like, okay, you can go into the warehouse of our office and your little band can play and you can have your friends over. And so things like that. But the bands we were going to see were uh, bands like Real Big Fish, the Aquabats, Dave Ferris, uh, all these bigger bands, like long before they were real bands. So we got to see the Aquabats play at their second show. I missed the first one, which was a party that I couldn't make it to, but didn't know the Aquabats were going to play. And the the second one we went to, uh, nobody, you know, we didn't know who these guys were, but they came out. Their second show, even their first show at the party, they were already in their garb. Yeah. Like, it, it was a fully formed idea as a joke, mostly, I guess, in the beginning. But it was fully formed from the beginning. Like, the one difference they had was uh, they had a guy on stage cooking, cooking <laughs> hot dogs on Foreman Grill. Um I think that was pre-Jimmy the Robot. Yeah. It, they had a, a, a dude up there. And they were sloppy. The only song that was really any good in the beginning was Martian Girl. Yep. And, uh, boy, they were sloppy. But the whole scene was about having fun. And they came out and just just exploded fun all over the stage. So it didn't matter how sloppy they were. So, so yeah, it was uh, great memories. And I didn't expect them to go on to be a band that would you know, have a show that my nephew loves, that families are all over. Um, they inspired my nephew to pick up a trumpet, and he's in his third year playing trumpet, and now he's going to play bass. Uh, they've got him doing that. Uh, when you go to their shows now, I see, you know, people my age there with their kids at the show. And, like, I don't know, when I was 17, 18, going to their shows, I didn't think, like, ah, when I'm 40, I'll be coming here, and we'll be, we'll all be bringing our kids and... <laughs> This and nephews and you know it's it's a it's bizarre but it's 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 a pretty cool experience and they're they're such a fantastic band to be able to uh, bring people that much joy and pleasure for this many years. Consistent. I highly recommend anyone listening. I don't care what you're into, uh, unless you have a real bad attitude, you'll you'll dig the Aquabats. Yeah, they they uh, I often use them to get me out of bad moods. Because you can't be upset when you're listening to them. It's no. impossible. You can be upset when you start, but a song in, you're like, nope, I'm in a good mood now. Yep. It's and like that's what they're super about. You know, like their whole, that's like their, their mission in life. That's what's so wonderful about those guys is that like, yeah, they want to be rock stars and stuff, but they're, they're really out there to entertain and bring joy to people and make them happy. You know? Um, true. It's kind of, it's rare. And it's so genuine. That's the other thing. Like those guys have like, they all have huge hearts. They they love everyone that comes out to those shows. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like the story. I mean, I'm sure you know about it, but uh, Christian and um, I can't remember who Christian when they started Yo Gabba Gabba. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, the other guy. Um, I can't even his name right now. <laughs> um, anyways, when they 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 both started having kids, and they're like, "Hey, all the kids program is garbage. It's either for older kids or just a bunch of nonsense and just shapes." And so yeah. he took the aesthetics of all the stuff he was doing with the Aquabats and all the monsters and made Yo Gabba Gabba. And it was just a group of monsters who sang nonsense songs for kids to go along with. And he said it's just something so they can see, they can understand shapes and colors and learn words. Uh, and they put so many good bands on that show. Yeah. Uh, I was so surprised. Like, I remember the first, uh, right before it aired, I'm trying to look it up here to see if I can get the other creator's name while I talk. Um, but I can't. I'll let you do that. Uh, it was at San Diego Comic-Con, and the... Oh, man, what's the host's name? The host of the show, the the dude. Oh, I'm pulling up right now. Hold on. It's going gonna, it's gonna to drive me insane. But uh, he uh, came Scott up. Schultz. I don't okay, know why Scott. I couldn't remember Scott's name. Um, but then the, the host of the show came up to us at San Diego, and he was like, Hey, we're doing this new kids show, Yo Gabba Gabba, and this DJ and Lance like, Rock. Yes. And I was like... Okay, whatever. I don't care about this at all. I'm I'm way too cool for this. I don't watch kids shows and went about my business and then it was like a year later I found out that it was started by Scott and Christian and everyone everyone I knew that had kids was like, "Oh, our whole family's favorite new show is Yo Gabba Gabba." And like even all, like my most punk rock friends that had become dads were like, "Oh no, Yo Gabba Gabba's great. I I I'm totally fine with Yo Gabba Gabba." Plus, they play a bunch of my favorite bands. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're playing, like, reggae bands. They have, like, rock bands. Like, it was, like, crazy. It yeah, like, I mean, just is- just a few of the bands have been on there. Obviously, the Aquabats have been on. Obviously. Obviously. Uh, you had Most Def, Bootsy Collins, Lady Tron, The Killers, My Chemical Romance, The Faint. Not The Taint, but The Faint. Faint. Uh, management or MGMT. Jack Black has been on. Uh, the Shins, Bismarcky, um, Mariachi El Bronx, Weird Al Yankovic, like tons of people have been on that show. And it's a air quotes kid show. Yeah. And it's so it's so bizarre. That's because like kid stuff can't just be kid stuff. Like the one of the mistakes comics is making right now is like, oh, we're making comics for kids. Here, give your 13 year old this thing that says for kids on it. Yeah. And yeah, when I was 10, I was reading The Dark Knight Returns. So get your for kids stuff out of my face. You want kids reading comics? You make badass comics. That's yeah. what you do. Uh, you don't make stuff that, oh, here you go. You're a kid. Read this thing for a kid. Um, I'm fine with, like, I love that DC's doing their new, like, their youth push. But everyone I see trying to push that stuff, I'm like, you're pushing this on, on junior high kids? No, this the youth stuff needs to be for, like, four- and five-year-olds. And then you got to start because kids want to I didn't ever want to read anything that was for kids when I was a kid. When I was in junior high, I was already reading like Stephen King and stuff like that. I yeah. wanted to you want to be an adult when you're a kid. And I think a lot of people think kids want to just stay kids or whatever, just because adults want to be kids. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, no, nah, as a kid, you want to be an adult, man. That's everything's practicing and playing to be an adult. Uh so yeah, and then that's what I think Yo Gabba Gabba was smart. They were like, "Hey, this has to be 
something that they can understand. And then we're going to put this music in that's going to make them curious or, you know, it's different than what they're going to see in other kids things, uh, you know, and plus you got to entertain the adults. If you entertain the adults, they can, the kid can sit through the whole thing, yep. you know? Exactly. Yeah. I thought, I thought they did a good job with that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you as well on that for sure. Um, well, that brings me into my end of my questions. But before we leave, I'm going to roll out said red carpet for Ryan real quick to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff he has coming up, but also maybe some stuff that, where people can see you, conventions or whatever it happens to be if you have anything. So red carpet is rolled out. Ryan, let the kids know where you can, we can see you. All right. Well, you can always contact me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Ryan Wynn, W-I-N-N, how you spell the last name. I'm also at Novelty Comics, and Novelty Comics is spelled with a K at the beginning, a silent K. Uh, on Twitter, you can get me there. I'm going to have a Facebook page soon. Uh, I didn't want to do it, but we're, we're going to do it. Too many people uh, out there asking me to join that way because that's their main form of finding out information. Uh, I have RyanWynn.com, and since people don't go to the website too often, I just sort of use it as a a general place where I post things from the other sites. Like I'll do a post from my YouTube page there, which you can find my tutorials and my time-lapse videos on my YouTube page. Um, so RyanWynn.com, you, you can go there. There's there's various things. Uh, I'm on DeviantArt as Ryan Wynn. Um, let's see, where else am I? I think those are the main sources. Uh, I'm easily easiest to contact on Twitter, and that's sort of the hub of my advertising is all all based on Twitter. You know, you go there and I'll I'll be posting stuff about my comics, stuff about my art, stuff about my music, things like that. Uh, our music is at the, the taint.com. We also have a band camp page. You can go and support us by buying our, our music there. And let's see, I think that's everything. But if you're one-stop shop, you can come and get catch me on Twitter at Ryan Wynn. And I can lead you anywhere from there. Boom. There you have it, kids. The awesome art of Ryan Wynn. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, And, yeah, I love uh, feedback. I love meeting new people, too, and talking to the fans. We're trying to do – we do a lot of stuff on Twitter, like uh, retweet to win, comment to win, that kind of stuff where I'll be giving away sketch covers or little sketches or, you know, fun things from around the studio. Uh, I don't do many conventions. I don't know if I'll be doing any conventions this year. And as much fun as I have at them, they've just become almost it's just too much. They're they're too expensive to to get to and to set up at, and they take away from too much too much work time. So I'm trying to have the same fun I have at conventions, but online. I'm trying to have a very active presence because uh, you'll vouch for me. We have a lot, I have I'm one of the funnest guys at a convention, right? True. I mean, we we have t I have so much fun with people. Uh, it's such a, I try to make it fun for them because they make it fun for me, but I just haven't been able to do that. So I'm trying to make it like, you know, every week. It's kind of like, you know, we can talk, we can hang out, we can, you can watch me sketch, we can talk about comics, stuff like that. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this week's episode of uh, The Awesome with Cody. Again, we were joined by Ryan Wynn. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, as usual, let's, uh, let's all be awesome. Thanks, Hey, Ryan. thank you. And, uh, Sorry, I'll let you do that. Do that sign off again. Say let's be awesome again. Let's be awesome. Woo!